Hello and welcome to Healthline 3, I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking about cataract surgery, eyesight, everything overall, you know WKI Institute. Dr. Chris Shelby and Dr. Weish Coleman are here and we'll be taking your calls all through the show. As a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned all the way down before making your call. And you know the number, it's 318-219-4569. We look forward to hearing you about all things eyesight. So thank you so much for being here, doctors. Yeah, we uh, we enjoy it. We appreciate you. Yeah, having thanks us for back. having us. Oh, we always yeah. do. We always enjoy seeing you, and mm -hmm. we always talk about you are the cataract surgeons. We talk about cataracts and cataract surgery, but there's so much more uh, to the eyesight. And uh, Dr. Shelby, you want to start and tell us some of the things, some of the other things that you do there? Sure. We, we you know, we, what we do is cataract and refractive surgery. So somebody who has blurred vision for whatever reason, you know, that's best corrected with glasses or contact lenses. That's what we're there for. So, uh, cataract surgery, obviously, removing the cataract, putting a new lens in, allowing people to see better. Uh, LASIK smile PRK refractive surgery. So, somebody who's in contacts or glasses and has been since they were little, and they want to get out of them, we can do that. Um, we can even do LASIK and PRK on patients after cataract surgery. So, uh, and that's a good note to take home that, that a lot of people don't understand is that once they've had cataract surgery, if they have blurred vision. If they have results that they weren't expecting, you know, they're having to wear glasses for distance, for driving vision, for watching TV, or for reading, they can probably have a LASIK procedure even after cataract surgery to get them less dependent on glasses. Okay, what about the reverse? What if someone has LASIK early on and then will they develop, still develop maybe cataracts later and can they have surgery, the cataract surgery? Yeah, you know, that's a common thing now. So mm -hmm. lots of people had LASIK back in the day. So. You're seeing more and more people for, for cataract surgery who've had previous refractive surgery. You know, RK was the first version of corneal refractive surgery, which was a good idea at the time. You know, that you don't meet many people who had RK who regret having it because they were, you know, not functional before and they did well for a period of time. But usually those people end up pretty farsighted, have some unusual astigmatism, and those have always been problematic to do cataract surgery on because the, the eye is difficult to measure in those cases. You know, you put incisions in the eye, it steepens the edges, it flattens the center, it, el it eliminates nearsightedness, um, but it makes it difficult to predict what lens is going to put them in perfect focus without glasses after cataract surgery. So a big advancement in addition to measurement techniques is the, a new lens called the light adjustable lens. Probably the, the ideal use case for that is people who've had previous RK surgery. People who we would know, we would have a real difficult time guaranteeing them glasses independence putting them in perfect focus at either distance or near after cataract surgery. But the light adjustable lens is a lens that is a silicone material that you put in the eye and then basically you let everything heal and you check and see what the residual prescription is. What you would get, what prescription you would write on a glasses prescription if you were to give them glasses. Instead of giving them glasses, you go enter that into a machine which actually shines a specific wavelength of UV light onto the lens and changes the refractive power of it. So you can adjust the lens and dial in the vision to be 2020 glasses independent uh, in most cases after the fact. So that's really great for people who've had previous refractive surgery, especially. There's other people it's, it's, a, it's probably the best choice for also, but those people who've had, who were generally problematic prior to the light adjustable lens and they weren't a good candidate for things like a LASIK touch-up, which is also an option after cataract surgery, the light adjustable's really been a great piece of technology for them. Wow. And so is there anyone who is not eligible? Is there anything that would keep you from having cataract surgery, like say age 69 or over? Is there anything, a condition maybe that they couldn't or can pretty much everyone have cataract surgery? 
Yeah, everybody <coughs> can have cataract surgery because mm -hmm. the, like, like I said, cataract surgery is simply the removal of your God-given lens. Mm -hmm. um, and as a matter of fact, the, the sooner we get to that, the better because cataracts can become denser and denser uh, as we get older, you know, if left unattended. But there's, there's no reason to not take a cataract out. Now, some patients may not be a candidate for LASIK, but cataract surgery is totally different. Yes. Total different thing, mm -hmm. and and what does it entail? We still hear about it being surgery, but how extensive is it? Is it like a, any type of surgery, or can you walk us through really what it's like? Because we talked about too that the fear of someone operating on your eye that keeps a lot of people from coming in there and doing anything when they, but once they have the first one done, they're like, well, when can I have the second one done? So can you walk us through literally what happens when you come to have cataract surgery? Yeah, well, you go, you know, the, the cataract forms where your natural lens is. So when you're when you're born, that's like a crystal clear bag full of jello. And as you age, it progressively becomes harder. That's the first thing that happens. And that's when you're in your 40s and you need readers to see up close. I'm 42, about to be 43. I'm going to need them pretty soon. Um, I won't say whether or not Dr. Shelby needs reading glasses or not, but that's a separate component from your distance vision. So, you know, your distance vision can still be good. My distance vision is very good but I have to hold things a little bit further away to see them. So that's when your lens becomes harder, and that's just a natural change with age that usually occurs in the mid-40s. That's when you need to go to the drugstore, pick up some readers, or get a bifocal in the prescription. The next stage in that progression is when the, cataract, when the lens becomes cloudy, and we call it a cataract. So that, then it's blocking the amount of light getting to the back of the eye, scattering light, causing glare and halo. So basically what we do in cataract surgery is uh, go and remove that cloudy lens and put a clear plastic lens in its place. And the, from the perspective of the patient, basically, the eye gets numb with some, some numbing drops. There's a little bit, little bit of a burn when that occurs, but otherwise you don't really feel much other than water flowing over the eye. And there are people who say, look, I just want to do it with no anesthesia. So you can do cataract surgery with zero anesthesia. That, now that's not the standard. Most people say, I'd like for something to have some medicine to help me relax through the IV, which we can certainly give it in most cases. Um, but the, people can do it with no anesthesia at all. And that's not terribly uncommon. Uh, I've always said if I live long enough to have cataract surgery, I'm going to do it with no anesthesia. I think I'll be more. Uh, I think I'll be a bit more cooperative with nothing. <laughs> but there's really not much pain associated with it. So we go and remove the cloudy lens with an ultrasound machine that takes that har that hard lens and breaks it up into microscopic pieces, removes it, uh, and then we put a clear plastic lens in its place. Okay, and just knowing that that is pretty common right there should take a little bit of the fear out. Yeah, mm -hmm. for okay. sure. Oh, we have a caller for you. Hi, Ed. Thanks for calling. What's your question? Yes. When you have cataract surgery, do you select a far-sighted or near-sighted to replace the lens that you're taking out? Yes, yeah, so <clears throat> it's a good question. And, and what we do is when, you, when you're diagnosed with cataracts, you come in, uh, we, we diagnose and we say, yeah, this is why you're not seeing well. So that starts the preoperative process. And part of that process is we take measurements of the eye. And, you know, one of the nice things about cataract surgery nowadays is you have a lot of options as far as how you want to see. The drawback is you have a lot of options as far as how you want to see. <laughs> and that just means that, you know, if you're really nearsighted before cataract surgery, you know, we can put a lens inside your eye to sharpen your distance vision. We can make it to where you don't need glasses for distance vision, but of course then you need readers. Some of our nearsighted patients, who like our musicians, pianists, things like that, will leave them a little nearsighted. So without glasses, they have a great range from near to intermediate. They'll simply wear glasses for driving or watching TV. Uh, then we have the multifocal lens, which we can correct distance 
intermediate and near vision without glasses. And it also corrects for astigmatism. And so th there's a lot of options. It, it's based on what your desires, your wants, your needs, and what you like to do most of the time. Okay. So if you're wearing a multifocal lens and a uh, far-sighted or near-sighted lens now, how, how would you handle that with uh, LASIK? Well, let me ask you this. So how you're about to have eye surgery. How would you like to yes. see when it's all done? <laughs> Both, without glasses <laughs> yes. at all. Okay, then, then you would, if, if you were coming in for cataract surgery, we would recommend, all things being equal, as long as your eyes are healthy and normal, we would recommend the Panoptics multifocal lens because that's the one that, that Dr. Coleman and I put in that we know we can get you seeing at a distance and up close without glasses. Okay, perfect. All right, well, thank you so much. All right, thank you, Ed, for the call. You know, I might follow up on that a little bit because <clears throat> that's a pretty common question, too. So it sounds like he's in contacts, m maybe a multifocal contact. but And so there's, there's basically two ways to get total glasses independence after cataract surgery. One is monovision, and the other is a multifocal lens. And monovision is where one eye is in focus at distance and the other eye is in focus up close. So that's a common thing to do with contacts where someone wears a contact, maybe only in one eye, if, they're, if they have good distance vision, they put a contact in one eye for near. And <clears throat> so your brain figures out which eye to use when. And if someone's already in monovision, they come in for cataract surgery, usually we just keep them in monovision, except for you don't need the contacts anymore to do it. So we put intentionally leave one eye and focus up close, the other eye and focus at distance. Those people achieve excellent glasses independence. Why don't we do that on everybody? Because there are a certain number of people who will not tolerate monovision, who will not be tolerant of one eye being in one focal plane and the other eye being in a different focal plane. And you don't want to find that out afterwards. So people who've been in monovision contacts, they've already tested it. You know they're a good candidate. That's simple. Everyone else, a multifocal lens is probably the way for total glasses independence. And then there's another group of people that really need high quality distance vision. You know, I do cataract surgery on a lot of pilots, airline pilots who fly for a living. Usually we're shooting or, you know, over the road truckers who drive for a living at night. Usually we're shooting for a distance target in those people, you know, because if you're, if you're trying to shoot an approach in an airplane in low weather, you know, with a couple hundred people in the back, you probably want maximum distance vision, you know, to see the runway where you're trying to land. So that's, it's really dependent on what the, what, what the uh, occupational lifestyle needs are. Um, that's another way. Along with the measurements of the eye. Right. All right. We have Bill on the line. Hi, Bill. Thanks for calling. What's your question? Hi, I'm 78 years old. I wear bifocals. The, the problem is I only have one eye. I have choroidal melanoma in, in the right eye. And the doctors, the doctors have told me that to wait until the, let me turn this TV down. I only since I only have one eye, I should wait until the other is not crazy, and I'm about to reach that point. Uh, I I can't see, I can't read anything up close. Distance is a problem, which I don't really care about that. But they've all they they've all a couple of them have said it again. I don't have a spare time in case something goes wrong. What what's your opinion on that? <coughs> you know, <coughs> I'll take this. one. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, so when I used to teach the residents at the at the VA, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed, matter of fact, 
That's where I, I recruited Dr. Coleman from. He was one of our residents. Oh, uh, the good old days. Yeah, the good old days. I didn't have much more hair then either. But, um, <laughs> you know, one thing that, that, that I've, I've known since I started was is that I treat every eye like it's the only eye a patient will have. And that's what I would try to relate to the residents also. Because what happens is, is that if you came in to my clinic and you've got melanoma and you're blind in one eye and you've got this one good eye, it, that doesn't, that shouldn't scare us because realizing that it's the only good eye you have, we're very uh, consciously aware of that. But one of the problems that I've seen with, with some of the mentality with some cataract surgeons is, oh my God, let's wait. Because if we don't do anything, then we can't hurt your eye. The problem is, is that your vision's decreasing. The cataract is getting worse. You're obviously living with these symptoms that are driving you crazy. And so removing these cataracts actually sooner rather than later, in my opinion, uh, is a much better situation. And so if you're at a point where the, your vision is affecting your quality of life, which it obviously is, it's time for that cataract to come out because it is not going to get any better. And the reality is, is that <clears throat> there are risks involved with cataract surgery, but there, the infections, retinal detachments, things like that, that we watch for are incredibly rare. And globally, cataract surgery is one of the safest procedures in the world. Uh, the way we do it, it's even safer. I mean, we're talking about one in 50,000 as far as complications are concerned. And the reality is, is even though some of those complications are not blinding complications, and so uh, it, approaching it, an eye like you have with, with fear is not really the way to do it. You know, we have to approach them uh, just like every eye is the only eye somebody's ever going to have. And, you know, the spare tire thing, I understand what they're saying, but the reality is that's, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like to approach it like that personally. I don't know the way you think about it, Dr. Coleman. But well, you know, I think one of the things that's changed in the past decade is that Historically, the rate of infection with cataract surgery was somewhere around 1 in 3,000 to 1 in 5,000. A big revolution came along where we started putting antibiotics inside the eye at the end of the case, at the end of every surgery. And we were probably the first in the area to start doing that, I think for sure the first. Um, based on a lot of data from big studies in Europe and big studies at a couple of multi-center uh, uh, places in the United States, that, that should reduce the risk of that. It looks like it reduces about tenfold to 1 in 30,000 to 1 in 50,000. So infection is the worst thing that can happen, and the probability of that is extremely, extremely rare. I think that the probability of going blind from cataract surgery is, is less than the probability of dying in a car accident going to or from the surgery center. So, uh, you know, my grandfather only had one eye, and he waited a long time for his cataract. He should have had it out years before, but was nervous just like you are. I don't blame you. I would be too. So I don't really push it on somebody who's not bothering, but if it's bothering you, you should get the cat because the problem is when you only have one eye when that eye is bad you got a problem on your hands so I, I probably wouldn't wait you know we do cataract surgery on a lot of monocular people and um, that's that's fairly common on a lot of what? what on a lot of what kind of people monocular people I one eye. what does that mean it means oh, only okay. got one eye yeah oh <laughs> yeah sorry okay I understand that sorry for that term okay but the uh, I think you know, if it's bothering you, you probably need cataract surgery, mm -hmm. and you're very likely to do very well. Because the odds are you're not going to go first blind thing with, with cataract surgery, but you, it will get worse if you leave the cataract there. Yeah, I'm noticing it more and more now. Mm -hmm. So, 
All right, so the first thing I probably should do is make an appointment to come in and see y'all, huh? Sure, absolutely. Definitely. And how long does the surgery take? Is it like hours, minutes, days? <laughs> eight minutes. Yeah, eight, eight to ten minutes okay. is the surgical procedure itself. You're at the surgery center about an hour and a half because you know, most of uh, the procedure is getting you ready. You know, obligatory paperwork, IV, getting you dilated. But the, from the moment we get you in the operating room to the moment we wheel you out is an average of about eight minutes. Okay. Certainly appreciate the information. Yep. Thanks right, for the call. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, another great call. And also a reminder, too, that they don't, you suggest we don't drive ourselves home after that, right? Should yeah, you got to have a driver there. the day. Yeah. got to have a driver. So, Bill, you got to have a driver. Make sure. That's good. That All becomes right. problematic sometimes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. We have another caller. Hi, Tim. Thanks for calling. What's your question? Uh, thank you for your program. Um, may I ask a question that's off subject of the cataract? Sure, sure. Um, w uh, actually, it's two questions. One, is, is there any merit to these eye vitamins that are marketed, you know, marketed for the eye? And then the other question is the problem that I'm experiencing. Is, like I have double vision uh, vertically um, because of what I understand, whatever holds your eye in place, uh, whether that's a muscle or a tendon, I was told that that it one's longer than the other and it's as out of age now and you know I'm in my sixties and gotten older it's weaker and so it's letting that eye kind of droop down, not staying level, they're not in sync. Does that make sense? Is, is they're not yeah. tracking the same uh, because of, so my question is, is uh is there an extra an eye exercise where you know, he said you'd have to do surgery um, but is there an eye exercise to strengthen that muscle? So if it is a muscle. First question. To bring that back in sync. First question: the eye vitamins. So, you know, the there was a, a big, huge trial done on Preservision vitamins or the AREDS two formulation. There's a couple of companies that make them. Preservision is the main one, and that looked at people who had diagnosed to macular degeneration that was early, and they started taking the eye vitamins, and they measured the risk of vision loss in the future. There were two things that affected change on that front. One was if you were a smoker and you stopped smoking, there was a dramatic reduction in progression to vision loss. The other was the eye vitamins and it made a small difference. Uh, there was a little bit of a benefit there. Other than that, I don't. there's not a lot of big data to say that, that it's advantageous or not. I think a multivitamin's probably a good idea. Um, and an eye vitamin, if you have a pre-existing macular regeneration, is definitely a good idea. So I, I don't think it's a game changer otherwise that I've seen a lot of data to back it up. You know, you have anecdotal reports of see people taking vitamin C and they see better. By all means, take them. They're probably not harmful. Um, the, um, the second question on the double vision, there's eye, eye exercises have only been shown to, to work for a single cause of double vision, and that's called convergence insufficiency. When you see single at distance, but double reading up close and the uh, orthotics where you strengthen your eye muscles can improve that to, and not need surgery. Pretty much every other cause of double vision would need surgery and it would, it's typically the pediatric ophthalmologists that do that because normally it's kids who have um, eyes that deviate. It'd be Dr. Henderson, Dr. Hendrickson and Dr. Richard's office and I would take their opinion as, as the gospel. I think that whatever they tell you is probably right and if they say you need surgery, 
to correct it and get you to where you don't need prism glasses to see single, that's probably the correct answer. Okay. All right. Um, I appreciate it. And the vitamins uh, was not so much to, um, of course, that is a good idea to, to help you see better, but it's also to for prevention of your eye getting worse or prevention of cataracts or things like that. If they, if they uh, have that effect, it's certainly never been proven. Okay. Thank you for your, so, uh, your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the call. Thanks. Yeah, so, we get a lot of questions about the vitamins, you mm -hmm. know. Oh, really? Fish oil helps tear production. Yeah. It can, people with dry eyes, it can improve the quality of your tear film. Uh, Preservision helps prevent macular regeneration. You know, try to stick to things that we can, that we that can prove rather than guessing. Right. I, you know, there yeah. may be something that helps. If there is a vitamin that stops you from getting macular regeneration, stops you from getting cataracts, certainly nobody's ever shown that before. Right. Like you said, it's nice to have some proof instead yeah, of just guessing. Hopefully nothing will stop cataracts. But yeah, right. Yeah, you know, keep you guys in business. business and and keep my show going. I need to have you guys have something to talk about on this show. <laughs> All right. Hi, Vicki. Thanks for calling. What's your question? Hi, this is for Dr. Coleman, and he did my cataract removal surgery about a year ago, and I was referred to him through Dr. Holly Guy, and she said he was the best that she knew of and the most professionally knowledgeable about this, and I did not ever know that cataracts can fall, which is rare, very, very rare, but it did in my case, and Dr. Coleman undertook my surgery he took that cataract lens out and put another one in, and I thank God for him because he saved my vision. Well, thank you for calling. That was suspenseful for a minute. I yeah. thought you were about to tell me you got to see an eye dog. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah. good. And, and make, make sure you leave your address so he can send you that check. I remember seeing you. I guess I'm going to have to put Dr. Guy on the payroll. But that is that is one thing that I do. I mean, that may be worth talking about is a scleral fixation for mm -hmm. people who have a, no place to put a lens that's normal. I do a lot of scleral fixations. And I love doing them because they're complicated. They keep my life interesting and, you know, they turn out pretty well. And, so I'm glad you're doing and good. And you did so good. Thank you very much. I just wanted to call in and, and tell all those people who have that problem that you and Dr. Shelby are the ones to go to. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much for calling, Vicki. Yeah, that's lovely. We're going to put her on the payroll, too. Yeah, right. So you're going to have to Venmo her. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to start a regular account here. We get one of those calls almost every time you guys are here, so it's really nice. Eventually, yeah, someone's going to scream at us, I think. I, I don't know. Yeah, we wait. Like you said, the suspense was waiting. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, maybe it's Robin. Hi, Robin. Uh, yeah, Thanks like for calling. What's your question? Uh, yes. Uh, they said you needed a driver. What if you positively, absolutely do not have a driver, but you do need cataract surgery? You know, that's a, that's a good question, and, and that happens occasionally. And so we'll have patients actually Uber there. Um, you know, the, the reason it, that you need somebody with you is because you're generally sedated. And that's like having a, a bunch of margaritas and then, you know, trying to drive yourself home. Uh, you know, of course, that's not a good idea. And the other reason, even if you're not sedated, you know, you've just had surgery. So you've got one eye that's a little, you know, foggy from the surgery, and the other eye obviously probably needs to have surgery too. So the, the vision's not very good. Uh, there are some transportation services uh, that can uh, help bring you there and take you home. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. 
right, thanks, Thank Bob. you. Thank you. You know, that is a problematic thing mm -hmm. that it would, it would be good to have a better solution for, and I, that's a hospital policy, and that's one of those that's tough to get them to budge on. And it's not a problem until it's a problem. It it's really rare. is, and, and we take that for granted sometimes. We just think there's got to be some way, someone, and someone, some people really just don't ha yeah. feel that yeah. they don't have any option to have a ride. So thank you. Um, so Ivor, thank you for calling. What's your question? Uh, yes, uh, I was wondering what would be the problem. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you go in for cataract surgery and you lose your sight. In that particular eye. You'll take that one. What, so, uh, what was the question? One more time. Uh, you have the cataract surgery and you lose your sight in that particular eye. Now, did that did that happen? Uh, well, yeah, it happened. <laughs> it happened to me. Yeah. I could see good when I went in and so forth like that. And after the cataract surgery. I could see for about a week, and then the uh, uh, the vision just went away. Okay. And I've been back several times. They haven't been able to uh, fix the, fix the problem. So sometimes it, it sounds like uh, the surgery is uneventful, and then you could see, and then suddenly you couldn't see, and that sounds yeah, yeah that that sounds like um, either a retina. Or an optic nerve issue so you know your your lens is in the front part of the eye it's right behind your pupil so you know you have the white part of your mm -hmm. eye the colored part of your eye and the pupils that opening in the center and so your lens is right behind there behind that is the vitreous jelly which is a clear fluid and then your retina and the retina is like the film of a camera so light comes in hits your retina and then your retina sends that impulse through the optic nerve to the your brain where that's how you interpret images and so in a situation where you could see before and you could see right after, and then a week later you were having issues, it's one of two things. It's either the retina itself or possibly the optic nerve has had a stroke. And those two things are, are, are uncommon, but they can happen. And I'm sorry to hear that that happened, but it would be one of those where we'd have to actually take a look at it to see exactly uh, which one of those has, has taken place. Uh huh. You say, uh, you say a stroke could do it? Yes, sir. And that's actually, oh, okay. that's actually the most common reason is an ischemic optic neuropathy where there's actually some limited blood flow or stroke that happens to the optic nerve itself. Mm -hmm. Well, is there any way that could be corrected? Uh, tragically, no. Uh, it's one of those where it, it's a tincture of time. So depending on how bad the vision was, at the time of the stroke, because a lot of times there's swelling, things like that, that happen when you have a stroke to either the retina or the nerve. And over time, of course, that swelling goes down and whatever fibers are still uh, left over, uh, we'll see some patients regain some vision. We just can't guarantee how much. And that usually takes six months to a year before you get to a point mm -hmm. where we know exactly where the eyesight's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Well, due to the fact that you um, made a uh, mention about the uh, uh, retina, mm -hmm. well, then I would have that checked at once a year because I had a, a torn retina in my uh, other eye, which was my right eye, and, it, you know, it got fixed up. 
Yeah. And uh, everything is okay. I would I would assume that whoever did your cataract surgery would be looking very close to and trying to figure out what this is immediately yeah. has caused the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, there have been several cases where uh, several times that why it was uh, looked at immediately to find out what caused this problem, mm-hmm. but there's been no results since then. Interesting. If yeah. they can't figure it out, come see us. Yeah, we'll take a look. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Thecataractsurgeons.com. Yep. And we have offices at Wilsite North, Piermont, and South. My number is 212-5901. And, uh, 212-3937. Uh, and whichever location is closest, we'll be, we'll be glad to take a look and see. You know, we could probably could make our public service announcer for the day. You know, the, a stroke in the eye, like vision <coughs> loss, especially in one eye. This is a topic that we discussed at a little conference we had the other night with a neuro-ophthalmologist from LSU, Dr. Brinkley, who's a great guy. He, uh, you know, it, it's good to emphasize to people that vision loss in one eye, especially, both eyes is disturbing, but it's hard to localize that to one spot. You know, you never know what that is. But when, when the vision goes away completely in one eye and then comes back, we call that amaurosis, that's usually poor blood flow. And that should be t- treated like a TIA, like a stroke. That person should be admitted to the hospital for a workup because they're likely to have a stroke or a full retinal artery occlusion following that. So that person needs a workup. If somebody has a unilateral vision loss that's temporary, that it deserves admission. So it's worth yep. people knowing that, that you know, it may save their life to get admitted to the hospital and find out what the underlying cause is. Yeah, definitely. Not just your eye. That is definitely a big red flag yeah, there to go Yeah, it's like a stroke in see. your brain. Your yeah. eye is an extension of the yeah. brain. Even go, if you're just making ER. sure that yeah. you're okay, go to the ER and check mm-hmm. it. Definitely. As usual, I learn so much every time. I think I'm going to ask the same questions, and then our callers are amazing. Yeah, These awesome, are really yeah. some great calls. And good luck to everyone who called. Ivor, we just really certainly hope that everything turns out good and you get to see these guys you take care of. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3.